to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. I'd like you to think back to the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic. Can you remember that time? It seems like so long ago. But what were the hot workplace-related initiatives that everyone was focusing on at the end of 2019? Do you have some of those workplace initiatives in mind? Now ask yourself, as you mobilize perhaps thousands of employees to work from home, maybe in some cases for the very first time, which of those workplace initiatives actually helped you get through the pandemic? And which of those workplace initiatives have perhaps fallen by the wayside or at least dropped in priority? In this episode of the Digital Workplace Deep Dive, I'm going to share with you a previously unpublished internal-only podcast that I recorded with ISG's Director of Digital Solutions and Strategy, Ian Fisher, that I recorded in late 2019. As Ian and I discuss six important initiatives, I'd like you to think about each one in the context of the pandemic and your own experience. Is this technology that we're talking about that we thought was so important in 2019 actually something that would help in 2020 and beyond? At the end of the interview, you can compare notes with the conclusion that I reached as well. Well, Let's get started. Again, this is an interview with Ian Fisher of ISG that I recorded in late 2019. In conversations you and I have had before, I think we both recognize there is a strong desire to achieve what they call a digital workplace, to improve the the user experience, to improve the productivity of, of workers. And I think there's often a difference between what the enterprises think they need versus what they actually need. So maybe we can talk about that first. What, what is it you're seeing that they think they need? They think they need to do something to catch up because if they stand still, they'll fall behind, which is technically true. Um, however, to do that, there's a lot of technical and organizational change that has to happen. So they can't just jump in. You have to start somewhere, and it's a big, scary uh, landscape. So typically, they ask for you know, the buzzwords RPA or blockchain or, or things they think they can do quickly and effectively to do that. Uh, and that that is one element, but it's not the the be all and end all. They physically have to change the whole operating model of the business, and it's it's called enterprise agility. Um, if they take, for instance, um, you know, an organisation that's selling product, um, product aligned delivery either um, lives or dies based on the uh, demand for that product. And if you're selling one type of thing and it doesn't have a demand, then if you ha- don't have the ability to pivot or to change your operating model. Um, using technology, then you, the company will shrivel and you will lose market share. So you, know, you take the example of you know, Ericsson, Nokia and, and Apple. Apple arrived on the scene in 2003, I think it was 2004, um, with the new new products, new iPhones, new you know, iPad came out shortly after and swallowed the market by, you know, by force because they were able to understand what somebody needed before they'd ever seen it. And the, 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 the Goliaths, the, the you know, Leviathans that were there, couldn't adapt fast enough. So they think they need to, to change. They don't necessarily know how to change. And the majority of the work that we, we get involved in is helping organizations understand the case for change. So they actually understand what they have to do. They understand how they have to do it. And that's one of the ISG sort of USPs in terms of being a research and advisory firm. We've, we've seen it, we've done it, and we, we have the assessments to, to do that. The second part you asked about was from a user experience. Uh, we use one of our our user X um, benchmarking tools um, to help them do that. We we have about a, I think it's one and a half million data points over five hundred different surveys, and the clients we we deal with understands the inside uh, assessment and the outside assessment. So we can work through the current technology stack or the 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 
the, the channels they use to, to work in using technology, and we can assess the effectiveness and the efficacy of, of those channels to give them direct feedback on what's working and not working, and that allows them to build the case for change. Uh, it's a really useful, it's very quick, and it's quite simple assessment. So if I'm a CIO looking at all these new technologies, some of the things you've mentioned, artificial intelligence, RPA, blockchain, you know, many of these are quite new and it's hard to find lots of data on them to make good decisions. Where might a CIO need help? They actually need help in starting because uh, it is a big scary landscape. As I said, it's, um, well, we, we created a, a diagram. I think, I think we actually showed it at the Digital Business Summit. It's, uh, we call it the tube map for digility. And it shows on a page how you go from um, customer experience or insights through to a change in operating model or from benchmarking through to sourcing. And there's, it's all tied in. It's all tied together. And really, that is on a picture of what an organization needs to do. This challenge they have is where do they start? And it's, it's making sense of that challenge in nice, simple terms in small, manageable chunks that allows you to jump on the, the tube line on the, the, the maps tube line and go from A to B to C to D and make a logical journey over time, which is the transformation. Well, Ian, I think that uh, tube map, or as uh, we might call it in the States, a subway map, is really a, a great model for helping a CIO figure out where they are in the digital workplace and where do they need to go, especially with all the complexity that uh, we're facing these days. But um, let's just get a bit more tactical with all these technologies that we might find on your tube map. Which of these do you see the greatest demand? Um, so at the moment, we have a, a huge demand in our RPA practice. There are, you know, the, the, the challenges we have around RPA, machine learning, AI, all, all being joined together to form a smart analytical and intelligence engine. Um, you know, going back to what I said about the, the, the journey from insights through to operating model, without that information and that connected understanding, um, it's not possible to adapt and to, to change. So really what we're seeing is the customers getting that light bulb moment, the, the, the clients we deal with having that light bulb moment where they realize they need better intelligence, they need better uh, data to make decisions faster and almost in real time. But to have that, that requires some form of machine learning or AI interface. And it requires to remove human interactions from certain processes because there is not adding value and that's the RPA. Um, part. So it doesn't mean we're taking humans out of the equation completely. It means we're giving them time and we're giving them the ability to do more value-adding roles. Um, you know, things like you know taking meetings out of the day through artificial uh, assistance, um, having AI and machine learning to form patterns through chatbots, through different channels to market. So your customers can provide information that you would normally have had to phone in to to provide. You know, from a an automated help desk through to chatbots. AI can offer you services, you know, because you asked about this, we'll notice you, you haven't um, checked about the following services that you're eligible for. Would you like to hear about those? It's allowing the, the business or the organization that's, that's working through this journey to start to offer and grow the user experience and the customer experience, which is also important to, to ensure that they, you know, they get some revenue enhancement or they actually get some better customer satisfaction because the customers are not wanting to make multiple calls or multiple contacts with a the company, they want their problem solved then. And employees want to be able to do it as fast as possible in one, one hit wonders, basically one touch. So to have machine learning, to have AI, to have cognitive, um, you know, you, you touched on, on a kind of AR and VR. Uh, we've seen at one of our recent conferences where, uh, in fact, I think it was one of the competition winners at the digital, uh, the future workplace um, summit, the, 
they presented a, a, a virtual reality version of training. So actually by practicing training in a virtual reality environment, people were able to have better customer service and better human interaction with their other employees through a performance management process. And therefore they were able to, to drill through training and improve customer satisfaction. So technology is an aid, it's an enhancement. It's not necessarily a replacement. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. It's much more of a kind of human artificial hybrid. Um, so don't think we're about to, to have a whole bunch of robots. <laughs> you know, this isn't the Terminator. We're not watching, uh, you know, we're not gonna have a whole bunch of robots walking in the door. This is a, a hybrid model where humans will work hand in glove with machines. <laughs> it's funny you say that. that's the same question I get from my family when they hear you're working with AI. Oh, the yeah. bots are taking over. <laughs> but, yes. uh, yeah, and, 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 and you know, it, it brings up an interesting point because um, you mentioned user experience. We also talked about, you know, AI automation analytics, which forms the core of the, the Unisys IntelliServe platform. And yet um, some of these things are, are really designed to help improve productivity and bring down cost of support. And at the same time, the hope is it's going to improve the end user experience. And I know that um, ISG has been involved with, um, with evaluating user experience and helping people work with it. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how that fits into, you know, thinking about the user experience in terms of the digital workplace? Um, yeah, you, you actually raised a really good point. I saw the, the platform you talked about at one of the summits. And from, from what I've seen, it's actually a really useful um, tool. I think when, when it was presented and I, I asked some challenging questions, uh, we were able to, to say that actually, you know, that your, your ability to offer your clients uh, almost a preemptive phone call to say, we're just phoning to say you haven't had a problem or you're using sentiment analysis or um, you know, cognitive to, to preempt a, a failure or something that allows um, a more cost-effective end-to-end you know, -end service. That, that's, that's really the essence of what we're trying to do here. And that's probably the perfect um, uh, kryptonite for the, the, the those who try and take down AI or its technology or the, the fear that's put through that. So by saying you can reduce cost and improve service, that for me is effectively the holy grail. Now where we come in is the assessment of this. And as you mentioned, it's about the user experience. So we have two, um, two elements, two assessments. One is the user experience index. And that's what I mentioned before. It's roughly... Um, you know, it's been going for a number of years, I think it's almost 10 years now. We have over one and a half million data points uh, that we, we call on and we have effectively scanned and we've assessed the market. So we have a historical, we have a trend and we have a current uh, version of this and we can effectively measure where you are against your peers in the same industry, same region or in different um, you know, industries if you're looking to become top quartile and move. So that allows our customers to actually get a very rapid couple of weeks, three to four week view, followed by a quick implementation of the plan to understand where they are and what they need to do. Uh, so we, we have the privilege because we are an independent advisory, we have the privilege of being able to see into these organizations and form market views, which allows companies like yours to, to, to benefit from that service and see what the best of the market is doing. I mean, that sounds like a tremendous amount of, of data, especially I, I can imagine ISG is looking across a variety of industries, a variety of regions, and then being able to come up with a, a, a view of the expected end user experience. I've got to believe that there is some insights that you have that you're able to draw from that, uh, maybe a disconnect between what the enterprise thinks is needed for end, good end user experience versus what the end users really want. Is there anything you can share? Um, we, we've had an example where um, a, a certain uh, individual mentioned that they, they knew where this was. They didn't be, need to be told. 
but they were happy to be challenged. And by running the uh, a user experience survey, we were able to actually say, do you know what, we, we have heard what you say, but the problem that you think is existing is existing, but it's caused by the following things. And by going through the technological roadmap, we can see that actually you have a whole bunch of call waiting or you have te technical tickets coming through from your L1 and your L2 help desk, which are causing a whole bunch of user experience issues because your platform is not integrated with the following things. And if you did the following changes and you made it more seamless, you would actually not only enhance the experience, you would make that problem go away. And that's the, the benefit this has. It allows you to look at the technological roadmap across channels uh, and, and start to put in a, a much more rounded view. We gave a, uh, a webinar just a while back uh, called Moving from the Telephone to Telepathy. And it kind of, as, as I'm hearing what you're saying, it kind of uh, resonates with that. It sounds like there's a, a desire from the end users to, hey, just read my mind, kind of. Figure out what it is I need and just take care of it. And, and it feels like there's a real gap between that desire and what's actually, you know, in most cases being delivered by, by I'll say, by IT to, to the end user organization. Do you see that as well? The, the magic bullet, you know, just tell me what I need. Um, that, isn't really, that isn't really the attitude they need. It always, it, we should have a fostered uh, continuous improvement culture. We should be uh, you know, understanding our customers and making things improve internally. And that's how we start to drive a true customer experience. It's not around just being told what to do. It's around actually under, understanding first, then doing. You know, it's it's interesting when I hear you say uh, what's included in your assessment, that it's not just the PC, it's not just the phone, it's not just those apps, but you're looking at the, the social media tools, you're looking at how they get support, you're looking at, you know, whether they're you know, physically in an office or uh, elsewhere. What that tells me is the workspace, workplace, whatever you want to call it, has changed radically uh, over the last uh, 20, 30 years, and it, it, I think it's accelerating. So I'm going to ask you to maybe think ahead, look to the future. We've already expanded the workspace being beyond the PC and a telephone sitting in a cube <laughs> to a much broader, a broader set of tools. What are the things that um, we should be thinking about now to be ready for the next wave of what becomes the digital workplace? In the future of work, people want to have flexibility. They want to be able to you know, demand their own working hours. 70% of people who take on new jobs, I think in the last five years, what 70% of them want to set their own hours. They will actually turn down a role if they are unable to have flexible working. Um, you've got to remember that we're, we're living in an age where these millennials, uh, you know, I, I say that as a, someone who's just passed a fairly large milestone birthday, um, you know, the, the millennials will make up 50% of the workforce by 2020 and 75% of the workforce by 2025. Um, they are demanding the ability to have and set their own pace. You know, to they won't accept jobs if social media is banned. So certain government organisations who have who have locked down internet access, for instance, they they struggle to adapt, and that's a big problem for some public sector clients. Typically, the more adaptable ones um, in the, the retail industry and the fast moving and consumer goods who have to have you know lots and lots of turnover of product. Um, they are adapting and they're pivoting all the time. So they typically employ these people to, to, to think and to actually do. And all the startups, whether it's fintech or, or other types of startup companies, they are typically the, the drivers and the challengers. Um, they're thinking of things that have not been thought of before and they're doing them before the large organizations can do them. But specifically, uh, to answer your question, so I, there's a great video actually online I'd recommend the, the listeners to look at. It's, it's by JLL. It's about three minutes long, and if you just Google the future workplace and put JLL, and it's about three minutes long, and it's 
a great visualization of how the future of work and the worker could look. So it has everything from wearables through to you know smart devices through to you know even before 5G was announced, um, it was you know obviously re required fast internet connection. You can pretty much order your you know has sort of tongue in cheek as well. You can order your your coffee upstairs and it's ready for you downstairs because it's it's monitoring where you are and the, the barista is making your coffee before you go down. It has adaptable working rooms. It has acoustic bubbles. Uh, I was speaking to a, a chap at, um, at Acon and he was telling me about how they design buildings of the future because they have to they have to look 20 years ahead. A building's not something you're just going to have as a pop-up. You know, it's here today and gone tomorrow. They're having to future-proof um, the, the workplace of the future. And to do that, it has to be adaptable and allow people to work in an adaptable way. So um, I, again, I recommend the video. So I think it's a very good video. It's not, it's not one of ours, it's by JLL and it's a very, very good little three minute uh, worth of watch. Specifically, um, the use of AI tools, the use of um, robotics to configure, the use of taking away tasks. You know, I, I have a, an assistant, a virtual assistant, um, and every month I get an, uh, um, an email saying from Cortana, uh, you know, how much time she saved me or he, again, it's, a, it's the modern world. So it's got to be, <laughs> got to be careful. So I don't know if she's a he or she, but Cortana has saved me 18 hours so far this month in booking meetings. Uh, you just send an email, you copy um, the email address in and they will work on your behalf to, uh, to arrange the meeting with the people you're doing, or they will book the catering or they will book whatever you need it's fully uh, adaptable into your phone there's you know as long as you've got the microsoft suite of applications it can work and it saves a bunch of time so that's an example before of you know uh, of an ai assistant uh, helping not taking over because you still have to do do the work so i see the future as being adaptability in building and environment adaptability in um what we call the definition of work you know the gig economy where you're going to work how you're going to work uh, we're already seeing changes to contracts, changes to you know, deliverable-based outcomes rather than nine to five. So you're employed to do something and then uh, do something else. Um, certain parts of the population are embracing that. They are demanding that. Um, more sort of larger organizations like ours, uh, we have to adapt our spaces because otherwise we have these huge capital investments that um, you know, we, we just burn cash on and they're not are not returning the, the investment we require them to return by producing the revenue that they need. Um, we have to connect employees within them. We have to provide you know, anywhere connectivity, bring your own device, you know, or do you mandate a, a computer or can we just connect anything? I want to be able to work anywhere at any time. You know, I, uh, another thing um, Cortana does is, is show me the breakdown through a, a nice pie chart of my, my working week. And typically, I, if I'm not in a client office, I'm probably working 25 to 30 percent of my time on the move so whether it's you know this morning um six o'clock in the morning i'm on the plane for an hour i was working on the plane i got off into london i was on the tube obviously couldn't work there but i'd done the work i needed to do to prep for my day in the office so i was able to do that set up the email when i connected it all went out the door um you know cortana was all included so i've got a whole bunch of things to check tonight that say you know what what the outcome's been, and I'll just um, select them or not. Um, you know, I, I chose to interact with you uh, directly, <laughs> Weston. So <you're> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so you weren't bombarded, but yeah, that that's what I see. I think the main thing is obviously space, people, and time and capacity. That's what's the big thing. And you know what I find really uh, interesting about how you've answered this question, Ian, is um, it, whereas you did talk about certain technologies uh, there in the middle, you chose to start off 
talking about the importance really of user experience and thinking about the millennials. And you ended up talking again, coming back to that, the importance of the user experience. We might call it a user experience sandwich <laughs> is what you're viewing, yeah. is your view of the future. And I, I kind of like it. I think the enterprises should be ready to take a bite. It's the key. Without it, you're, you're not going really anywhere. Well, Ian Fisher with ISG, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule and living the dream, so to speak, carrying out this podcast from a hotel there using, using modern technology. Thank you so much for taking some time today. No problem, Weston. Thank you for having me. Well, that brings to a close the interview that I did with Ian Fisher in 2019. But let's go back and analyze what we talked about there. As I mentioned at the beginning, there were six different initiatives that we discussed that were very important in 2019 in the context of the digital workplace. Which of those turned out to actually be useful for enterprises struggling to get people to work from home and think about the new normal that uh, was previously unthought of at the beginning of 2020? Let's take a look at those six initiatives again. The first one we talked about was enterprise agility. Well, certainly that one proved very valuable during the pandemic as enterprises had to very quickly change the way they operated having people work from home or perhaps work under very difficult circumstances with social distancing within the office or factory. The second was user experience. Now, this did not come to the forefront during the beginning of the pandemic. The first effort was simply to get people working from home, make sure they had the technology to be productive. But then most enterprises began thinking about the user experience. What was actually going on with these workers who are now working from home? What was their home experience? Did they have the support they needed? How are they doing emotionally and physically? The third initiative we talked about was intelligent automation. Very important in 2019, but became super important in 2020. Enterprises that had deployed RPA, artificial intelligence, machine learning, found that they were able to scale up support and other services much more quickly than those that were depending upon humans to actually carry out those tasks. AR and VR, augmented reality, we didn't talk about those at length, but those both proved to be super important in the area of providing in-person support remotely where social distancing is required. The fifth initiative that we talked about is the flexible workplace. The pandemic certainly has demanded that. Enterprises that did not consider working from home, flexible work hours, flexible work tools as important were forced to do so during the pandemic and will continue to do so, we believe, going forward into the future. As we come to the last item, I think we finally found one that really did not have an important impact on enterprises trying to get through the pandemic. What was that? Future-proofing the office building, the physical building. Now, certainly, as we look at the return-to-work scenario, there will definitely have to be changes made to the office building to support a post-pandemic world. The use of IoT, the use of thermal sensors, the verification that people are using equipment or using conference rooms, automatic sanitizing of them. These things will become very important, but it's not easy to implement those overnight. As Ian said, people that are designing buildings are thinking 20 years out. So not to say that that's not an important thing to be thinking about. It was just one that did not have a big impact during the pandemic, but we expect to in the near future. What will 2021 bring? Well, as we saw this year, predicting how to be prepared for what may come in the future is challenging at best. But one thing that was clear is individuals and enterprises that had invested in digital workplace were certainly much better prepared to get through the pandemic than those that did not. You're listening to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. 
I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thanks for listening. Thank you.